Hey, what's going on? It's Matt Polis, and it's time for another episode of Meat Sauce for Tuesday, February the 16th, 2021. This is episode number 18. Welcome back. Thanks for joining me. I hope the last week or so has treated you well. I feel like I keep talking about it, but uh, this winter has been relentless. It's been below freezing, I feel like, for almost like two months straight. (laughs) And as of really the last couple days, the snow has also been pretty relentless. I know we had, we've had like, I don't know, I want to say like three or four inches on the ground prior to the last two days. And then I think we added on another six to seven, maybe eight inches. So there's definitely at least a foot of snow on the ground out there. And it, it just looks cold. I mean, it looks like a winter wonderland. It looks like something I would enjoy, but I'm also pretty okay being inside. I know the Midwest as as a whole, including, you know, including Michigan and Ohio has gotten a lot of snow over the last couple of days and and I know even the the Southwest or the the South and like Texas and Louisiana and then moving up through Arkansas and Kansas and all of that have gotten hit pretty hard and really really cold temperatures, really cold wind chills as well. It's weird though cuz like while all this is happening, it's it's still like middle of February, you know, March typically starts to kind of warm up a little bit. It in Michigan it's definitely stays decently cold through March, but um Ohio tends to warm up in March. So it just feels so crazy that spring is like right around the corner and here we are with like a foot of snow on the ground. You know, within a month it could be so different. I want to give a quick shout out to Valentine Distillery in Ferndale, Michigan. Uh, Jess and I went to their cocktail lounge last Wednesday for her birthday, and it was such a cool place, and it was a great time. It felt like I've never been to like a speakeasy, but when you walk in to the front, like where the front area is, where the bar is, and they have like uh, couches and everything's like red velvety type old couches and chairs it felt like a speakeasy like in that space I know speakeasies are usually like in the basement or behind a wall or whatever but this one just had that kind of vibe too big crystal chandelier and postmodern jukebox was singing all kinds of tunes on the on their speaker system but uh, we were there for a couple hours, and we ended up being the only ones there the entire time, other than, other than the bartender, other than any other workers, I guess. But it's just crazy. Like we sat there for like two. Uh, they did. They opened at like two thirty. So yeah, we were drinking cocktails at two thirty in the afternoon. But that's what you do on, on a birthday. Uh, but yeah, it was really cool. That I I thought for sure before we would leave, somebody would walk in and be another customer but (laughs) no one did it was just us the entire time like I said they have like all these couches and all this red velvety material and the cocktails were great Uh, Jess had a cocktail called the banana spice and everything nice and it had like a roasted banana over top of the drink and so that was really good and it featured their uh, liberator old tom gin which is regular gin and then they age it in oak barrels for two years so it's got a really dark uh profile to it and um, i started with an old-fashioned and then i had a pour of their bourbon their so their 
kind of staple bourbon is called Mare Pingree, and they have different labels of Mare Pingree. So they have like a red label, orange label, blue label, and black label. And the pour I had was their black label, and which is uh, it's sourced through MGP, which for you for those that don't know, MGP is a distillery in Indiana that basically helps young distilleries get off the ground by um, those new distilleries buying the bourbon from MGP that they they've been you know aging for for so long and so these young distilleries are able to come in and while they're waiting on their own bourbon to age they're able to get stuff get their distillery off the ground with using mgp's bourbon so uh so this is mgp's bourbon but 90 percent of it is 12 or 13 years old and oh my god it was so good and i was like thinking about it the next day i was like holy cow like 13 years old i graduated high school in 2008 and so that that bourbon was going into barrels in 2008 and to think that I was graduating high school when that happened and then I was drinking it it just I don't know it it was like just a cool for me it was a cool moment of like history you know my own history in that way and uh man it was it was just so good just every time I would nose the glass it was just like it was just heaven and then obviously sipping on it. It was 120 proof. So I was definitely feeling it after that pour. And, and that bottle typically runs for about $90 and they don't, they didn't have any in stock and they don't, the uh, bartenders aren't really ever told when they do have them in stock um, because it's such a limited small batch that they, uh, they don't have them all the time. So it was really cool just to have a pour of it. Uh, to be able to try it and kind of enjoy it in, in the place that it was bottled or whatever. I think Jess's second drink was called The Last Straw, which I think had strawberry-infused vodka, which it was boozy. Holy cow. And it had kind of just a weird um, initial flavor, like not something I think either of us really expected. Um, but we had we went there because I had gotten her a bottle of that Liberator Old Tom gin that I mentioned before for her birthday, and I wanted her to try a cocktail <clears throat> from the distillery that that gin was made that had that gin in it. I thought that would be kind of cool before she tried the gin here at home. So uh, overall, I thought it was awesome. I definitely want to go back. I definitely need to get a bottle of the Mayor Gris. I know they have, you know, so the red label, so they're old, there's an old enough distillery now to where the red label is a four-year-old bourbon, and it's their own stuff. So it's the own stuff made in-house by their blender, master distiller, master blender. And um, apparently everyone I've watched on YouTube talk about it, it's just giving it rave reviews. So I uh, definitely need to pick up a bottle of that. I think the four-year-old bourbon is about $50, which I found out that younger distilleries who have young bourbon they charge so much sometimes to kind of uh, cover their overhead on getting the distillery started. So that's why, you know, one company I think of right off the bat is Rabbit Hole that, you know, they have some young whiskey and they their bottles are pretty expensive for being as young as they are. So that kind of makes sense to me. And it's nice that Valentine Distillery is able to 
keep their prices relatively low, but have a great product in the meantime. Because some places that, like, you know, Rabbit Hole, they charge a lot and their whiskey's not that. It's okay. It's not great. But then you have Mayor Pingree, who is a four-year-old, $50 cheaper than some places and really, really good. So kudos to them. Definitely want to go back. It's such a cool vibe and and uh, really enjoyed being there. Uh, speaking of bourbon, <laughs> as I seem to be only talking about ever in my life anymore, uh, let's dive into this week's edition of What's on the Shelf. And if you're just joining, the What's on the Shelf segment is I take a bottle from our whiskey cart here at home and talk about it, talk about what I like about it, give some facts about the distillery, give some info, some background, uh, just to kind of share, you know, what, what I am enjoying and maybe along the way help you if you're interested in getting started with drinking bourbon or, or not really sure what to start with, don't want to spend a lot of money. I am definitely your person for not wanting to spend a lot of money. This week we were taking a look at another great value in bourbon and one of my favorite daily sippers. Uh, I really can't believe I haven't finished this bottle yet, but as soon as I do, it'll, it's one of those that I would go out and buy again. Uh, today is all about the Wild Turkey Distillery and Wild Turkey 101. Wild Turkey is a distillery out of Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. The name Wild Turkey is said to have come about after... Uh, an executive named Thomas McCarthy took some warehouse samples on a wild turkey hunting trip back in 1940. The bourbon was wildly popular amongst the people on the trip that Thomas McCarthy began bottling wild turkey in 1942. So pretty cool that, you know, and I don't know, I mean, I don't know if this is just an old wise tale or if this is, you know, true. I feel like it's true is that, you know, they went on a hunting trip for wild turkey the guy brought some bourbon friends really enjoyed it and they ended up calling it wild turkey because of that today master distiller jimmy russell uh, who became the master distiller back in in the 1960s uh, still holds that same title today and now his son eddie russell who was also named a master distiller as well in 2015 also works for for wild turkey so it's like the one of the only if not the only father-son combination uh distillers in the game right now uh both are both are in the kentucky bourbon hall of fame which is pretty cool all of the products in the wild turkey line <clears throat> include wild turkey which is their basic original release i think it's it's in the 86 proof range i believe uh, followed by the Wild Turkey 101, which is what I'm talking about today. Uh, both of those bottles also have a rye version of themselves. They also have spirits such as Long Branch, which is a Matthew McConaughey collaboration. I believe he's like the artistic director of Wild Turkey, so he that's his uh, collaboration bottle. And then... Let's see, then you also have Wild Turkey Rare Breed, Bourbon and Rye, and then the Wild Turkey Master's Keep, which is their most expensive yearly release. It comes in a really nice box, and they have a different a different release every year, and it's something different. I think 2020 was a 17-year bottled and bond bottle, which looked really nice and got really good reviews. Uh, and then they also have a Russell's Reserve 10-year and a Russell's Reserve Single Barrel. I've personally only had the Wild Turkey 101 and the Rare Breed, uh, but they're both 
great tasting and, and great value for the respective level of bourbons. So Wild Turkey is doing a really good job of of making things affordable and having really high quality in the process, which I really enjoy. Uh, a few stats about the Wild Turkey 101. Uh, the 101 is non-age stated, but it's said to be a blend of six, seven, and eight-year-old bourbons, which is pretty good. Really good, honestly, for the price range. Uh, it's 101 proof. If that wasn't uh, wasn't obvious. It does come out of the barrels around 109 proof, and then they dilute it uh, down to 101. Uh, the mash bill is 75% corn, 13% rye, and 12% malted barley. So it is considered a high rye bourbon. Uh, it has a deep gold, amber, and copper color to it when it's in the glass. Um, some nosing notes that I'm trying and working to pick out are vanilla, medicinal cherry, oak, cinnamon, and baking spices. Uh, tasting notes include much of the same as the nose along with some, some caramel. Uh, this bottle typically can be found for around $26, and I think $26 is in Michigan. I'm sure it's cheaper in other states. I've seen, I've heard of it being $20, $22, $24, just depending on where you are, uh, and that's one of the best values. I mean, you get 101 proof, something that's aged, a blend of six, seven, and eight-year-old bourbons. I mean, that's that's kind of a sweet spot right there of value. It's one of the first bottles that I purchased for... Uh, our whiskey cart and for my collection and it's one that again I would definitely continue to buy uh, once the bottle is gone I really can't believe that it it's not gone yet I think I've been trying to savor it um, but you really can't go wrong with that proof at that price you know and again adding to the fact that six seven and eight year old bourbons I mean it, it's crazy and and on the bottle it says um, number four barrel char uh, which is also known as alligator char so basically um, the barrels that the bourbon sits in are charred with fire at a very high temperature for different periods of time. I believe because it says number four, that means it's pretty high amount of char. I think number five is the highest, uh, but this this allows the the bourbon to seep into the cracks and crevices of the of the wood and really soak up as much as much of that wood and char and smoky uh, flavor as it can. So um, I, I know wild turkey. I don't know if they do it on all of their products, but definitely on the 101 and on the Rare Breed, they have that number four alligator char. So um, pretty cool stuff. I, I really, again, if it's not obvious, I don't, I can't recommend the Wild Turkey 101 enough as a great entry level bourbon and a great daily sipper that you can just buy over and over again, you know, and again, at least 20, only a $26 bottle, at least in Michigan, it could be cheaper elsewhere. So definitely recommend the Wild Turkey 101 from Wild Turkey Distillery. All right, that's it for this edition of What's on the Shelf. Let's move on into some sports here. So I don't know if you saw or not, but uh, J.J. Watt last week of the Houston Texans asked to be released. Uh, he and the organization did agree to part ways. They're, and they're said to be, really quickly, they're said to be about a dozen teams or so that are interested in the three-time defensive player of the year uh, who's going in, who's going to be going into his 11th season. And the Cleveland Browns are said to be one of those teams in the mix. And I, I know some people aren't too high on the Watt brothers. And honestly, I'm not crazy about them either. I know J.J. has done a lot of good for the Houston community. And I think he still has a lot of juice left in the tank um, and still be a dominant 
player in the NFL. He is a bit injury prone, which is something that would concern me a little bit. But, you know, to think about him lining up on the opposite side of Miles Garrett sounds pretty incredible. And this, I think, something the Browns, you know, desperately need. So, and I think he brings a ton of leadership and a ton of experience and, and would be a great leader on that side of the ball. Now, I know Miles Garrett kind of is that leader. Um, but you, I feel like adding a guy like J.J. Watt would be would be huge. But it, even if they don't end up signing him, I think there's still plenty of talent out there at the defensive line position that the Browns can certainly go get. Um, but this is an, an intriguing name to be thrown in the hat. I mean, he, he wants to go to a winner. He wants to win a Super Bowl as fast as possible. And I think some people may not be able to admit it, but I feel like the Cleveland Browns are kind of on that cusp right now. Pat McAfee was saying on his uh, YouTube show last Friday, which, by the way, if you like sports and you've never heard of Pat McAfee, he's a former punter for the Indianapolis Colts, and he is he's awesome. He's hilarious, and he's started a, a podcast or a, a YouTube show or whatever you want to call it. And it's fantastic. He's got like a whole group of guys and it goes for like three, three and a half hours and it's just really informative and it, and it gives just real takes on situations and he's able to bring on NFL players because they feel comfortable talking to him and he's not a regular like journalist. So it just feels a little more real, you know, a little more not trying to get clicks, not trying to you know, be the person who breaks the big story or whatever, which seems to be all the sports journalists want to do nowadays is just be that guy who breaks the big story. But he was on, so Pat McAfee on his show last Friday was saying that Watt was set to make, I think like $17 million with the Texans this upcoming season, um, but could certainly do a smaller amount for like a one year deal. You know, he's definitely not somebody that I want to give a ton of money to just because of his age. But if he can help lead the Browns to a Super Bowl, I am down for that. Uh, some other teams that Watt could be linked to include the Bills, the Titans, the Ravens, and the Chiefs. So we'll see what happens with that. You know, the AFC is just continuing to get better and better and better. And it's, I mean, it's just already so good. The NFC, man, I, you almost wish your favorite team was in the NFC right now because there's not much there, if I'm being honest. Uh, moving on to some MLB news slash Cincinnati Reds news. Uh, the MLB announced last week that they will be keeping the seven-inning doubleheaders and keeping the extra-inning rule where each team starts with a runner on second base. This was implemented uh, during the 2020 season when they only played 60 games. Um, it was a way because they were probably going to play more doubleheaders because of COVID and games getting canceled that they didn't want to have the games run super long, have two nine-inning games, which I actually did not mind the seven innings at all. I mean, I think it was as fair as it can be. It almost puts pressure on the teams to do something sooner, quicker, um, which I, I kind of liked. And the games don't feel as long, which was nice. So I don't know how many doubleheaders we'll have this season, but if we do, then it's they're going to be seven-inning games. The extra-inning rule was implemented I think to again try to speed up the game try to not make the game go to 15 16 17 innings you know if you're starting with a runner on second base then it's a little 
not easier, but it, you're definitely set up better to uh, to score a run to try to end it either in the 10th inning or 11th inning. So those two are going to be staying for this upcoming MLB season, but they are not going to keep the universal DH, and they're not going to keep the expanded playoffs. And I can't believe... One, I mean... I, I guess I'm not shocked that the MLB said that they're not going to keep the universal DH because they hate fun. <laughs> but to not keep the expanded playoffs, I mean, they're all about revenue and all about money. And the way you make more of all of that is expanded playoffs. People watch baseball during the playoffs. Like, real, like legit baseball fans... And people who are obsessed with the game will watch all throughout the regular season. I get the MLB.TV, so I I will watch as many Reds games as I can here at home. But to not have expanded playoffs when you know that gets the most eyeballs, to have more teams, to have more potential fans enjoying the playoffs just seems crazy to me. It's a lost opportunity to continue to grow the sport. And, and to go back to the Universal DH, like those two... That and the expanded playoffs were the two most popular things, in my opinion, from fans and I bet the players last year, and they're not going to keep it. I mean, the Universal DH, like teams, like that's it's changing how teams sign players this year, you know, because you have some older guys in the league that maybe can't play every day, but then they could still hit and be successful. And I'll be honest, up until this past year I was I was usually just against the universal designated hitter because it all I just grew up with the National League having their pitchers bat you know and after having this past season with the universal DH I'm like I never want to see a pitcher hit again you know unless it's like Michael Lorenzen or something I, I just oh it, it just kills the game I mean you get you get bases loaded you have a chance for a big inning and then your pitcher comes up and it's like most pitchers don't really care to hit and don't really expect to get a hit and fans don't expect them to get a hit. So it's just like, again, slowing the game down, making it more boring. And I, I don't know. I think it's more fun when you have a lineup full of power hitters. I think that's pretty sweet, but it's just a classic, classic MLB. You know, they're not going to keep the things that everyone loved, but they're going to keep the things that most people hated. You know, and the runner on second to start extra innings is what people hated. So I just don't get how a league can be so disconnected from their fan base and from their players. You know, do owners vote on this stuff? You know, I feel like they're involved. Why don't why don't players get any say on what happens with this? You know, it, it's it's really crazy how bad Rob Manfred and, and Tony Clark are for baseball. And for those that don't know, Rob Manfred is the commissioner of baseball, so he's kind of like the head honcho. And Tony Clark is the voice for the Players Association. So he's kind of the guy that <clears throat> the players go to. And then he, on behalf of them, talks with like Manfred. But he doesn't seem to do anything that they want him to do. So they're both bad at their jobs. <laughs> and it only continues to frustrate the fans. You know, it's really a bummer for baseball <laughs> that these two yahoos are running the show, if I'm being honest. Because like I said, the Universal DH was awesome. It gave more excitement to the game. It allowed teams to bolster up their rosters a bit more. And for a long time, I, like I said, I was always against it. But again, now that I've had it, I just... It's a bummer. It's a bummer. And I hope I hope this is the only year that they 
decide not to have it and then they bring it back because they realize oh it was actually better <clears throat> it's crazy though I, I believe pitchers and catchers report this week I think the Reds were pitchers and catchers report tomorrow I know there's already players down there there's already been players down there for a couple weeks now but it's the official uh, reporting date which is pretty cool uh, the, so the Reds the Reds are in Goodyear Arizona for their spring training and I and I really can't believe I was looking at the calendar yesterday their first spring training game is February 28th so like two weeks from this past Sunday so it, it's like so close how baseball is and, I, and it just seems so soon and I, and I'll be honest as a as a diehard Reds fan heading into this season I do not have very high expectations for them. I had high expectations for them last year and they struggled for half of the season and then kicked it on uh, kicked it into high gear like towards the end and and somehow squeaked into the playoffs. You know, I I really hope they prove me wrong, you know, but the front office really really kind of let me down, you know, with not not making any key additional moves for the for the offense this offseason you know I know they still have Mike Moustakis Nick Castellanos and Shogo Akiyama from last year's free agent signings and and maybe with the full season they will play a lot better you know Akiyama really turned it on late at the end of the season and was a much more consistent hitter and, and being a lot more patient at the plate and driving the ball to the opposite field, you know, and, and Castellanos got off to a hot start last year, but really cooled off by year's end. I mean, he was red hot in those first, like, 15 games or so. And then Moustakas was hurt a lot for the for a 60-game season. He was out a ton, you know, but I don't know. We'll see. If, if you combine those three guys with a hopefully healthy Nick Senzel, you know, Nick Senzel has been injured a lot he had COVID last year so he missed like he missed almost 30 games I think like almost half the season and then you have any Eugenio Suarez Joey Votto and Jesse Winker you you could have something but it right now it really just feels like the same old Reds like a lot of the same faces and same names that we see year in and year out have so many struggles and high points and more struggles and a little bit higher points and then really struggle and I really hope it's not (laughs) the same old Reds you know there's no way that the ownership can say that they went all in on 2020 and it just didn't work out so now we need some sort of rebuild to save money because of the pandemic last year not having fans it's just not right and it really seems across the across the baseball world that's what's happening with all these teams and they need to be called on it it's it's bad for the game. Like moving forward, it's bad for the game. Um, but I'm calling it now. If the Reds are really bad this year, and they get to the trade deadline and they're out of contention, look for them to dump several of the guys I just named in a trade of some sort. You know, because I know Castellanos can opt out after this season. So if the Reds are bad this season, I don't see how he comes back for a third year. So I could totally see them potentially trying to trade him. If he's hot, trade him at the uh, trade deadline and try to get some pieces for him, knowing he's probably not coming back. So it could get it could get bad really quickly if they are bad. Like we could find ourselves back in the like 20, like 15, 16, 17 years of the Reds. And I really hope not. Like the Reds fans do not deserve that at all. But it just seems like something the Reds 
you know, would do if it comes to that, you know, so pitching wise, I feel, I feel solid, you know, but also it feels incomplete a little bit. You know, you're going to have Luis Castillo and Sonny Gray as your aces. Then a mix of, I don't know, Tyler Malley, TJ Antone, maybe Wade Miley. I know Michael Lorenzen is going to be competing for a spot in the rotation. I, I think I like that a lot. I think he did really well last year when he had to step into that role. So, and he certainly struggled in the bullpen at times last year. So, to see him step in, pitch four, five, sometimes even six innings, um, and and be so effective, I, I I think I like him in that role. And I and Tyler Malley had a really strong season. T.J. Antone did as well for being a rookie. Wade Miley, uh, I don't know about him. I mean, he is is a little older. He doesn't impress me too much. But if he can stay healthy, you know, maybe he can be one of those guys that just gives you a lot of innings. And and he's one of those guys, I think, that the offense has to kind of keep them in the game because he's going to give up runs for sure. But if he can give you, you know, each time out six, seven innings, I mean, that would be huge for the bullpen. But I don't know. It's going to be a really interesting season. I mean, I'm excited to watch baseball. You know, I'm excited for it to come back. And, and but... I think either way, it's time for uh, Reds fans to buckle up because the season's either going to be a wild ride or incredibly bumpy the whole way and full of disappointment. You know, I really hope they surprise me and come out playing solid baseball right away. That's something over the last several years that the Reds just never do. You know, they get so far behind in the standings that by the time they start to actually play decent baseball they're too far out of it so if they can start hot and you know they'll cool off at some point everybody does you know maybe they'll be right in the thick of things when they start to kind of heat back up again you know it's something the Reds never do Um, so maybe this year they'll actually do that for once and I know Joey Votto wants to start (laughs) better record-wise than they usually do every year it seems like they're like five games, six games, seven games, eight games under 500. And it's just like so hard to come back from that and then also get into first place. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. I'm, I'm really looking forward to baseball season. And yeah, I think that's going to do it for today's episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you have a great rest of your week. Stay safe with all this winter weather happening. And I will talk to you next time. Bye, everybody. <laughs>